Hey, today we're going to talk about the consequences of a pulpit that fails to connect the dots between biblical truth and the contemporary issues of our society. Uh, Ohio voters just supported issue one, which introduced a whole new enshrinement of abortion rights uh, into the Constitution uh, in that state. What's especially grievous is to see how many, quote, evangelical Christians voted in support of a bill that is overtly anti-Christian and anti-biblical. How does that happen? This is part of the fruit of what happens when pastors fail to engage in in moral issues from the pulpit because we're afraid that we don't want to be political. We're also going to talk today about Bonhoeffer's courageous choice to be a part of a conspiracy to take out Adolf Hitler. How could a Christian man, a godly man, a holy man, be involved uh, basically in a conspiracy uh, involving the murder of Adolf Hitler? Um, What should our approach be to evil in our culture today? And is there ever a place for activity such as that? We're going to talk about these thorny issues and yet important issues in our podcast today. You're not going to want to miss it. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We never want to take you guys for granted. This podcast would be really boring if it was just the three of us in this room and uh, talking about these things. So thank you guys for uh, tuning in. We do hope it's a blessing to you uh, as we are endeavoring each week to connect the truth of God's Word and the Christian worldview to the happenings going on in, uh, in our nation and in the world. And uh, I, I can't think of a more instructive issue for us to chat about this morning, especially in light of what we've been talking about. Some of these um, in our book, uh, letter, our book, Eric Metaxas's book, Letter to the American Church, uh, we've been highlighting uh, four basically major lies that the church swallowed back in um, Nazi Germany, um, uh, leading to Hitler's rise to power. And and then comparing that to what's going on in the United States today. And this is hot off the press. Now, by the time that this podcast airs, this will be about a week old. But, um, uh, of course, Ohio voters, as you probably saw in the news, adopted Issue 1, which creates a constitutional right to abortion by a 57-43 vote, according to figures provided by the Secretary of State. Um, and this is the direct wording of the amendment that you and I were talking about just before we got started here. Every individual, and I'm quoting here, every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to abortion with a broad exemption for the mother's, quote, health. Issue one also bars the state from infringing on these rights directly or indirectly. Pro-life proponents uh, protect women Ohio and Center for Christian Virtue pointed out the term individual and, quote, reproductive decisions could erase parental rights and invent a constitutional right for minors to have transgender surgeries without parental consent. Um, all that is incredibly sad. They also went on to approve uh, uh, marijuana usage. So now uh, Ohio is another pro-marijuana state. And uh, and there's all kinds of data in here we're not going to have time to get into that shows um, the mental health problems that are created when uh, a large portion of your population decides marijuana is the, the way to deal with their problems or to feel good or whatever. But anyway, that's a whole other issue. Um, but I, I was on a... a 
uh, feed here of somebody who's very close to the issue. And, and this is what he said, uh, and I'm quoting him. Most disturbing is that evangelical Christians were the deciding factor. They made up over 20% of the voters, and 30% of the evangelical Christians voted yes on pro-abortion, pro-marijuana. Um, secondarily, 88% of black men and 82% of black women voted yes. And this is tragic. Blacks make up 13% of the Ohio population, but nearly half of the state's abortions are for black women. So here you have um, uh, evangelicals massively dropping the ball on what we would call a biblical issue. But I think this points right back to where we were on our last podcast. If the church and the pulpits of America do not treat these issues as biblical issues, instead if we view them through the lens of politics, then we're not going to touch on these issues from the pulpit. And if we don't touch on these issues from the pulpit, how are we going to disciple, quote, evangelical Christians to vote right on an issue that is so obviously clear in Scripture, the sanctity of life, that it's unbelievable that we have a group of, of evangelical, quote, evangelical believers across this nation that would support a woman's right to abortion throughout nine months of pregnancy, uh, and that somehow, as, as, as we need to talk about here, this lie that abortion is a kind of a sacred right or a human right is so deeply ingrained that even Christians have, have fallen for this. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> I want to spew a lot of unpopular opinions right now. I mean, first of all, the word evangelical has... Just like the word Christian has kind of lost its meaning yeah. over the no, several agree. decades, the word evangelical has lost its meaning. It used to be like if I talked to another fellow evangelical, we would agree on 90% of the issue. Now yeah, We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe in a personal relationship with Christ. And because we believe in the authority of Scripture, uh, all of these issues that are controversial are not controversial or should not be for evangelicals. But that's not the case anymore. No, it's obviously not the case. We have shown... Statistically, that's not the case. Um, through voting, through through your probably your exercise of what you believe is right or good, so the word evangelical might be out of date. We might need a, a more clear way to define where you stand on certain issues. But you know what I feel like is that over after fifty years of Roe v. Wade, um, and Americans' general uh, adherence to personal liberty, you know, part of that is good. And we talk about the importance of liberty and how the Bible reflects liberty. But liberty and and the center of, like, I'm going to express myself whatever way I want can also be taken to the extreme, right? There needs to be a good balance of that. We talked about in the past podcast before. Uh, because of 50 years of Roe versus Wade, we, what I've seen, and outside of my circle, what I'm realizing is that Largely, Americans, whether it's red or blue state, have taken on this right to reproductive this right. this reproductive right as their constitutional right. That's has it's so ingrained in them. It's as if it's free speech or right to bear arms. It's like the same level. And and when Roe versus Wade came down, a lot of people celebrated. But I mean, I think you and I recognize that this is simply the beginning. We're opening yeah. a door to the real battle. We just shifted the battlefield to. To the states. To the states, but really not, I mean, right now, really to the heart and soul. Now we actually get, got to engage the people. 
We actually, I mean, I go, I go back to William Wilberforce and, and why has it took decades for him to, you know, defeat the, the, the slave trade? We look at that perspective. We're like, oh man, it's such a bad thing. No, he legislative, it wasn't working for all those times. And what they had to do is they have to work on like telling people, articulating people how bad it was. And they had to show, you know, no movie, no movies back then, but have to, right. they have to explain to people, they have to, they have to capture the hearts and minds of people yeah. to get the support they eventually they need to topple those laws, right? I, I think our point is where, what is the institution or what are the institutions for capturing the hearts and minds of people? I mean, we've lost higher education. We've lost the media. Certainly. We've lost corporate right. America. So our point again is if the church doesn't wake up, if pastors don't start leading the way, if we're not talking about these things uh, and preaching strong and hard and clear about these sins and the judgment of God that comes on a nation that embraces this kind of thing, basically reproductive rights from a biblical perspective is saying, I have the right to murder my child who's already been conceived. This is this is wickedness. It's gross wickedness. Uh, and uh, and we, we're playing these word games and we're hiding the reality that we're actually now believing that human beings have the right to take the life of a child any, at any time through the, the child's nine months in what should be the most safe place on planet Earth, the womb of that baby's mother. Um, and so, you know, let's let's cut through all the language, the, the reproductive rights language. You, yes, you have the right to reproduce. Uh, and that happened when you jumped in bed with somebody. Uh, but after you've conceived a child, you do not have the right to murder that child. Um, and yet that's exactly what people are craving for and, and clamoring around. And this this was something else I wanted to read from one of the folks who, who was from Ohio, and they're watching this. Um, they were especially disappointed with evangelics and evangelicals and Catholics uh, because in some of the other areas that were highly Catholic areas voted in favor uh, of, of this amendment or this bill. Um, how they asked the question, how can so many disregard the core teachings of their faith? God is the author of life. The pro-abortion commercials by clergy were especially disgusting. God will not be mocked. Um, Pro-abortion commercials by clergy. I mean, that scrambles my brain. Um, If your clergy, whoever you're at, if your pastor is pro-choice and somehow jumping on the abortion bandwagon, you are on a sinking ship and you are not part of a church and that is not a shepherd. Uh, That is counterfeit religion and is wicked religion. It's the same thing that Israel uh, in Old Testament times was judged for uh, and America will be judged for if we continue to go down this path after 60 million abortions. So uh, any, if any of you are, are, are part of one of those churches, uh, it has Ichabod written over the door. Run and get to a place that loves Christ and believes in the truth of God's word and doesn't compromise. But when you see this, you know, this is a Midwestern state, as you pointed out. This was a state that, that went strongly for Trump in the last election cycle. Um, and uh, As a pro-life governor? Supposedly. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, and, and like they're right next door. Now, Indiana, I think, is even stronger in terms of life uh, than Ohio. But nevertheless, they're, they're wanting to use this as a template. I, I forget how much money to, came from George Soros's funded organization. Uh, they spew out pop, propaganda on all these uh, commercials telling lies, f- frightening people. Um, I think they were outspent at least two to one on this battle, um, probably in most states way more than that. 
Um, but but once again, this is what we're we're dealing with: the dark money. We're dealing with those who have a a wicked, evil vision for America and really wanted to, to uh, take us down a whole different path. Um, but it's a little close to home for me. And when you see that this is uh, going to be used as a model for the next major election cycle, which is going to sure. be coming down the road in 2024, it's like this is just uh, this well, is just we, the warm up. I think we're seeing impact of this in 2022 already. Uh, we, when I say we, I mean myself, the people in my circle uh, did not see the landslide, not the landslide, the landscaping changes in the larger consciousness of America when Roe versus Wade was, you know, came down in the Supreme Court and recognized, wow, we need to engage in battle. And I think after these two elections, I think it's time for us to wake up and recognize that, hey, we got to engage. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a Supreme Court justice, nor am I a legislature, but how do we engage our community yeah. in a in a real way to communicate these, these issues? Right. Again, you're not going to uh, – Wilberforce was not able to change those legislation until they really show people the atrocity of the slave trade. Yeah. How well, can we communicate that? How can we touch the hearts and lives of those our neighbors? Well, what gets me is we had that whole expose, undercover expose, which actually showed that not only was Planned Parenthood, you know, of course, slaughtering children, but they were selling body parts. I mean, this is like Nazi Germany – wickedness. And the person who exposed that instead of being celebrated as a hero uh, for exposing this kind of atrocity uh, was actually sued by Kamala Harris's California uh, state yeah. uh, when she was what the, forget what her title was out there, um, but she was the one that actually brought prosecution against this guy for simply exposing Planned Parenthood. Of course, she gets supported by Planned Parenthood and she's one of the biggest uh, heroines of Planned Parenthood, but but something like, to get to your point, this is exactly what we have attempted to do: is show the evils. You you see the aborted babies, you 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 see the horrific sights, and yet in in spite of all of that, it's like uh, there is a a demonic spirit over America. Our foreheads are like bronze. We just continue to run headlong, uh, and really the root of this, of course, is not abortion. It is the whole sexual revolution. It is, it is the massive uh, idol of Baal in America, the idol of sexual gratification at all costs. No one's going to stop me from doing what I want to do with my body uh, as long as I'm with another consenting uh, individual. I was going to say person, but we've even got folks pushing bestiality and every other kind of sick thing. Um, but the point is my sexual pleasure reigns supreme. And as long as you have that idol in place, you're going to turn your, a blind eye to, to a host of incredible uh, evil, wicked things. And that's, I think, where we're at. I mean, I, I was so disgusted when those videos were coming. I thought this should, this should be the death knell uh, of Planned Parenthood. And instead, the, the media buried it, everybody buried it, um, and, uh, and, and then you sue the one who, who should be celebrated. I mean, it, it's yeah. just, it, it, justice is turned upside well, down. I mean, those are the times when I'm just like, wow, I'm really, my perspective is really different from the larger culture. It's awakening for me because, yeah, at first it's like really discouraging and really almost frightening how different I my perspective is. But then I recognize, okay, God, it's okay. God can use that. But but my engage, my, I have to think of how do I engage? How do I engage with other people? How do we communicate in a way that they can? Because you know what, the news feed you get, 
I read kind of my normal neighbor's news feed, they get 0% of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. don't see any of that. And it's buried, actively buried. The, the news feed that automatically comes to my Apple iPhone yeah. is the most leftist propaganda right. news. I had to just right. keep deleting it all because uh, I, it irritated me to see the headlines uh, so, every day. So most people are inundated with that all the time. How are they going to even hear any even ounce of truth? Even if they do, they see it as propaganda, so they just get rid of it. And if we have pastors who are standing in their pulpits who are supposed to be prophetic voices saying, thus saith the Lord, and providing a moral compass for people to follow— but who I'm going to jump into our chapter today, yeah. but who, according to the the German church with it that Bonhoeffer was so frustrated with, they were practicing theologically based restraint. It sounds so prudent. Um, in other words, what he's saying is the church was more concerned with crossing their T's and dotting their I's and having precise language or precise this or or, or whatever. The, the, they were so concerned with look, looking good, sounding good, and being proper um, that they didn't move to action. They were, you know, it's like you might be a different denomination than me, but we could both agree that killing Jews is wrong. So it doesn't matter, even if you're you're a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian. Okay, I get it. We believe differently. But on that issue, those those theological differences should not keep us paralyzed and sitting on the sidelines divided. Mm-hmm. That those are these are issues that cause us to rally together. Because at the end of the day, it's not a theological, you know, doctrinal examination. It's standing for truth and 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 standing arm in arm, united against evil. Abortion should be one of those issues that we can do that on. Marriage should be another one of those issues. Religious liberty, absolutely. I can stand for religious liberty with atheists and Buddhists and Muslims because religious liberty. Is for all of us. Yeah, benefits everybody. But some people are like, well, you, you know, I, I don't know that Pastor Ron should be standing, you know, with that ecumenical gathering because it's a compromise of the gospel. It's like, what are you talking about? You're so you're so fussy about that. He said, theologically fussy. Well, people are literally dying, and you're worried about being associated with a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran because that's not who you are. This kind of thinking is just, it's its pathetic, it's image-based, it's guilty by association, it's what will my tribe think if I actually take a stand on an issue? Yeah. And so you never take a stand on any issue, and then somehow you're safe. Uh, then you have a nice long career in the pulpit and everybody loves you and respects you, while the culture is literally burning and going to hell around you. And I think theologically, there's not a true understanding of the idea of common grace. That God's given common grace to everyone. No, the rain falls on the wicked and and the righteous. That God's given common grace to everyone for us to achieve common good. That- so even an unsafe person can recognize that that's evil. Right. Like even if you're not a Christian during the Nazi Germany, you could go, wait a minute, just randomly picking out any group of us and slaughtering them right. is not right. And for me to align myself with them in the middle of common grace is not unbiblical. It's not I'm aligning myself with everything they believe. It goes back to we feel like if we agree, if we empathize with listening to someone, we have to agree with everything. No, in this issue we agree. So can we activate on this issue? You yes. know? Yep. So 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 here we are. We we have all kinds of crazy things going on. I, again, I just met last week with a a great man of God who's in a different profession, but his his vision again was, you know, Pastor Ron, what what can we do to rally pastors? And I said, 
I've tried that before. Rallying pastors who are not interested in being rallied is an exercise in futility. What I feel like my approach has been, and I felt like this was from the Holy Spirit, just do what I've called you to do. In other words, these are obviously we're talking about, these are deep convictions in our heart. So live it out. And sometimes just simply like like with Bonhoeffer, he 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 got tired of waiting for a church to rally around. And we're not even talking we're talking about a very monolithic church. This is Lutherans. All right. right he wasn't right. trying to rally <laughs> yeah. this was not an ecumenical movement. He's just trying right. to rally Lutherans. Right. And and to no avail. Um uh so he he just started leading and he he did what he felt was right, which leads us in, you know, in the time that we have today, I, I want to get into a really, really complex, complicated, morally, you know, uh, sometimes confusing, gray maybe, if we want to call it that, issue. Because, again, Bonhoeffer had the ability to see farther. He was not naive as to what was happening. As, as, as Hitler's plan unfolded, it became very clear who was in those boxcars. It became very clear about the concentration camps. It became very clear Hitler, Hitler used the church. He didn't love the church. He was not a Christian. He wanted to destroy the church, um, and that he was incredibly evil and wicked. And uh, and so when you see all of that, you start going, wow, this maniacal, demonized dictator is going to wipe out all of the Jewish people, not only in Germany, but in all the places where Nazism spread, right? Where, where, where they grounds they took over, Poland and other places. So, um, so Bonhoeffer starts going, okay, what is the moral thing to do? This man has to be stopped, or literally, untold millions of lives are going to be uh, taken. And that's when he. First of all, he could have stayed in America. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, yeah. he he was in America. He left. He was he he had a cush job. He was in a in, in a seminary. I, I don't mean that anybody teaching at seminaries has a cush job, but my point is, he was comfortable. He he was paid a nice living, and he could have argued that I'm I am more you know valuable here in America, here. right, right, because I can mobilize students or I could help make the rest of the world aware. But here's what he's here, here's what he came to. He's like, you know what? What am I doing sitting comfortably on the sidelines, miles away from any danger, while my family and my friends, my people, um, are, are living under those conditions? I need to go back and provide leadership in, in my nation. I need to stand for truth in my nation, and I need to do something. I mean, that is incredibly courageous um, on his part. And then he came to the conclusion, after talking with other leaders, that Hitler needs to be taken out. He needs to be assassinated. Now, I love what what Metaxas said. Harry's going around with his Bonhoeffer book, and he's got these evangelicals, Mm well-meaning. How could a man of God like Bonhoeffer lower himself to doing something as evil and despicable as murdering another person. Uh, and, and, and and Metaxas is trying to rem- keep composed as he's looking at this incredibly naive person. Mm-hmm. It's like these people that are talking about uh, a free Palestine. We just need, to, we need to, to have a Palestinian state that's free, you know, blah, blah, blah. And people don't realize there is no freedom for the Jew in that area. The goal of the Palestinian uh, people is to wipe them out 
to exterminate them. It is the most naive, idiotic uh, statement to say, let, let, let them all just live together when your neighbor's stated goal is to drive you Hamas, into the sea. Goal, right, Hamas. Yeah, right, Hamas, yeah. Hamas's goal is to kill you. And you got liberals, so let's have a ceasefire. Are you kidding me? Would you have a ceasefire if somebody came into your house uh, armed to the teeth and was seeking to kill you and your in your family? Would you go? Would you call a ceasefire while they're camped out in your living room? No, you're going to kill them or get them out of your house, and you're going to secure your home and you're going to make it a safe place. And that's, I guess, my point. First of all, so is it? What is the the biblical admonition not to murder? Because that's what. They were questioning, like, is it right for, for Dietrich Bonhoeffer to be part of a high-level plan, conspiracy, to murder Adolf Hitler? Is that, is that even biblical? And, uh, and Metaxas points out that in self-defense, and I wouldn't, this is even a naive to people today, like, yes, you should own a gun. Yes, you should be able to protect your family. Well, where does that come from? From the Bible. If somebody entered your home and sought at nighttime and sought to rob you or steal from you, you had the right to protect yourself. And that meant even if that person were killed inside your home at nighttime. During daytime, it had slightly different laws because you could see the person and, you know, you, there was no surprise effect or whatever. But, but the Bible gives you the right to self-defense, number one. That's not murder. You're not allowed to run out and take vengeance on your neighbor. That's not allowed. But, but you are allowed to protect yourself. The second thing is, in war, when you have a person like Hitler who is openly slaughtering innocent people, and you are part of a group uh, to take that person out, again, a, 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 a biblically sanctioned group. In other words, this is, this is governments dealing with governments, all right? This is, this is evil government versus righteous government. Uh, is it right? Even in American policy, there's been situations where, where we have sent in SWAT teams, under you know, a special ops teams, to go in and take out a rogue dictator. People would say, well, that's not right. You're, taking, you know, you're murdering this person. This rogue dictator might be upsetting an entire region. It might be oppressing their people, an entire nation. The issue is, do you take out one person and destroy that one wicked leader for the sake of all the other people? Um, or do you just sit back and say, well, you know, that's not a very Christian thing to do. Um, again, no, it's a very Christian thing to do to to deal with evil and to deal with it in a strong, uh, righteous way. So he came to the conclusion that, and I can't imagine how he wrestled with this, because there's even Christian pacifists. There's even Christians who say we should never, ever, ever, um, you know, use arms to defend ourselves. I had, a, I had a professor in graduate school who was a pacifist, and I said, I said, what if there's a nation armed to the teeth coming against America, and their goal is to wipe us out? You would not agree that we should protect ourselves? And she said, no, I, would, I think we just need to share the gospel with them. And I said, well, we're beyond sharing the gospel with them. They're, here, they're not here to hear our gospel message. They're here to kill you. And she said, no, I would, I would um, drop tracks. I would fly airplanes over and drop tracks, uh, gospel tracks in the, the country that was trying to kill us. And I just sat there looking at this lady. She said, I got a PhD. Um, Obviously, a PhD in naivete because I'm thinking, lady, are you nuts? There's a point of sharing the gospel 
But there's also a point when evil has reached uh, each day point where, where people, innocent lives are being taken and slaughtered. There's a point where you say, you know what, this must stop. Um, and that's where the godly Christian thing is to uh, take out the source of that evil. That's why when I prayed Sunday, I don't know how it went over with people, but I prayed that, that Hamas would be exposed and destroyed. Um, just like we prayed that ISIS would be destroyed. I mean, we're getting news stories back where they raped Israeli women who were pregnant, cut their bellies open, took the baby out, and chopped the baby's head off, and then celebrated. This is demonic, wicked, evil uh, personified. You don't throw gospel tracts at these people. It's too late for that. Uh, You stop them. And if necessary, you use violent force. To sit back and somehow suggest that we should celebrate or tolerate that is unbelievable. And to to baptize it as Christian is even more naive uh, and unbelievable. I I think it's a complicated issue because I think we have experienced, because of lack of trust in the transparency of the United States government, personally, I feel this way, a lot of the war stuff were kind of like, is this really about liberty? Is this really about freedom? Or is this about... Uh, profiting for the you know the war machines that you have right, so there is a complex issue, but on principle itself, you, I could see Bonhoeffer sitting there thinking, wait, <laughs> what is a greater conviction I feel right now in my heart? A conviction to sit here and kind of sit on the uh, the the shield of oh thou shalt love your neighbor, or to actually go and actually do the loving thing to love my my neighbors of my fellow Germany friends family. Uh, the Jewish people in Germany, the truly loving thing is to take action and, 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 and violent action to truly love. I mean, I could sit, I could just imagine sitting at a table in wherever he was, I think it was in New York or a time. Uh, New York, yeah. And just, just like tormented over that thought and, and the conviction of him leading, say, finally led him to say, hey, to truly love my neighbor means I have to take action and I have to go over there and do something. Yes. And he did. And that's what Bonhoeffer is largely celebrated. I'm sure there's some people who don't celebrate him. It's because he gave his life for his conviction. Well, and, and what's, what's ironic to me, okay, so he 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 had a sweetheart. He was planning on getting married at, mm-hmm. at some point. Um, and and after this conspiracy was exposed because he, they failed, you know, there's mm-hmm. a movie that came out now uh, uh, not too many years ago that kind of told that story. But the conspiracy failed. The bomb went off, um, but Hitler was not killed. Uh, a lot of his top, you know, uh, leadership brass was around that table, and again, it was a failed plot. They discovered that Bonhoeffer was involved, and I mean, we're talking about this is coming to near the end of the war, and in a in a short matter of time, I'll just say this: if Bonhoeffer would have played it safe, he probably would have lived through the war. Yeah. But only, I, and I, again, I don't have the amount of time, but it was a short amount of time. They strolled him into. Um, the, the execution room, he was hung with piano wire, naked, um, and uh, and died. And then shortly after that, uh, Germany was liberated by the Allied forces. So he could have played it safe. Maybe he would have been married and had, had a bunch of kids, grandkids, uh, been a celebrated hero. Um, but his conscience said, what is the right thing to do? And, and he went back to, to the uh, the golden rule. You know, do unto others what you would want them to do yeah. to do for you. If you're being exterminated systematically um, by the Nazis, you're you're Jew. Uh, how would you want your neighbor to treat you? 
I would hope you would want someone to stand for you, to protect you, to hide you, um, to do what they could to to preserve you and your family. And, right. and and that's that's the basis of how he acted. And he's and he had. But but here here's the point I think of this chapter is that your view of God, you know, who do you say God is? Your view of God largely determines um, the course that you'll take. He basically said, you know what? I know I serve a loving and gracious and good Heavenly Father who loves righteousness and hates evil. And I may not know for sure if, if I took the right course, because these are these are hard, hard, hard situations to navigate right. through. It wasn't an easy thing for him to go, I'm going to go assassinate. It wasn't like a flimsy, dis- flimsy decision I mean, that I'm going to no, go assassinate somebody. It was like he somebody. just exploded in anger and decided right. to take justice in his own It was a calculated, hand. deep prayer, I'm sure lots of counsel. And, and yeah. he worked, with, he worked, this is important, you know, the, the, the sword is given to governments, right? Like I, if someone does something wrong to me, I don't have the authority to take the sword into my hand and go, oh, all right, you did that to me, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No, that, that's that vigilante kind of justice. That's not what we're advocating here. But he was working with leadership within Hitler's own cabinet. He was working with leaders within the, maybe the former leadership of Germany before Hitler came in, people that, that had been given responsibility to lead that nation. Uh, military leaders who recognize, wow, this is going way, way wrong. Um, so again, this this was a, a strategic, well thought through, prudent, um, wrestled with decision uh, where they came up and said, this for the greater good of what's happening, uh, Hitler needs to be destroyed. Um, and again, he, he but at the end of the day, it's your conscience before God and your view of God largely determines your courage or ability to act. So he says, you know what, Lord, I'm doing this. I Search me and try me and know my heart, but I'm doing this with a pure heart. Uh, I'm doing this to honor you, and I'm doing this to preserve life, um, and I'm just going to trust you with the outcome. And, and I believe he got the well-done, good, and faithful servant. Um, and that's my belief. Um, but anyway, th- these are challenging issues, but issues that I think we all have, have got to face. I mean, the whole the whole Revolutionary War was a response to evil and to tyranny, right. and it ended up being violent. The whole Civil War, which was fought over, again, a moral issue, ended up costing people their lives because we said, wait a minute, the issue at stake here is worth re- shedding our blood for. There, there are issues in life that are worth dying for. Now, a secular worldview won't give you any of those. Nothing's worth dying for. Preserving yourself at all costs is the only thing. But in a Christian worldview, we realize that there are things in life that are more valuable than life itself. And, um, and fighting evil uh, for a believer is, is part of our callings. First of all, speaking out, standing, like you were saying, doing what we can, educating people, appealing to governments, working in the legislative process. But when all those things fail uh, and Christians start being carted off into jail for simply believing a biblical view of, of life or a biblical view of marriage or a biblical view of sexuality, at that point, we've crossed the line. And at that point, you're, you're, you're looking at another civil war breaking out because... Um, there are some things worth fighting for. I, God forbid. I, I hope we're spared. I hope we have great revival and great reformation in our nation, great repentance. Um, but if you follow the trajectory of the left and you look at the tyranny that, that 
is left in the wake. At some point, you end up taking every option you possibly can, and then you simply have to protect But yourself. I'll argue, I will push back and say, if that happens, it's because the church's fault. Oh, absolutely. And I'll, I will say, stop blaming the left. Stop blaming people for viewing the view on abortion. Don't get me wrong. They're complicit. There's dark money. There's agenda. Don't get me wrong. But again, I feel like Christians, this is why I get a little fired up, are so busy Pointing fingers, and we're not reaching our, we're not, we're not engaging in healthy marriages ourselves. Our marriages are such a mess. Our, our relationship is such a mess. We're not parenting our kids. Well, I mean, there's so much we can do ourselves first on a local level to engage ourselves. That's why a lot of times I'm just like, again, we're not trying to build here. We're not trying to develop. We're not trying to disciple. We're just trying to get people to go to heaven. We talked about this before. We're just yeah. focused on, and, and that ideology is establishing the world we are today. And we're seeing, feel like we're victims, and where I feel like God's saying, you're not. Not victims. Do something with your situation right now. You have the keys to the kingdom. And, and the other chapter, just to piggyback on your point there, yeah. was on the parable of the talents. You have been given a talent. Steward it. Don't bury that, it in yeah, the ground. Exactly. Um, invest it. Uh, use what you have. Some people are good at writing. Write. Some people are good at singing. Sing. Some people are good at writing music. Great. Write, write songs that capture the hearts of a generation. Uh, if your gift is leadership, lead. If you're in the marketplace, impact the marketplace. I mean, basically, every one of us, every one of you listening to the podcast, you've been given talent from the Lord, and we cannot bury the town. And that's what he, that's, I think, you know, to use another metaphor, that's what you're encouraging us as Christians, don't bury don't bury the talents God's given us, the resources well, that we, we have. When we see the dark cloud and, and we see these election results, we're like, oh, this trending, all these different things. Again, the, the instinct is to retreat and say, hey, we're not making a difference anyway. What's the point? Yeah. And, and again, it's completely opposed to the parable of talents, which because uh, he, he mentioned the servant who had one town who buried it. The master did not give him one ounce of excuse. He wasn't yep. like, tell yep. me, why did you do that? He well, called I, him evil. Yeah. He called him wicked and evil. Can we see stewardship as not just a extra to a Christian, but stewardship as an issue of, more, of consecration and morality? Do we see the sins of wasting our talent as bad as the sins of as these sexual sins? We often don't see it that way, and that's why we see the world we are today. I, my, For me, I have that perspective of this casting cycle because we're not taking stewardship correctly. Uh, therefore, we fall into greater darkness, and then we blame the darkness instead of ourselves for not taking stewardship correctly. So, so you know, in, in all reality, right now where America's at, we're, we're not going to be taken into a gas chamber or hung with piano wire or whatever. Um, but there will be a cost. Um, your friends might not understand you. You might lose some friends. Uh, you might be vilified. You're going to certainly be misunderstood. Uh, you might be glossed over on the promotion at work uh, because I, 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 you're one of those religious people. I mean, the point is we will not be able to steward what God's given us without opposition and cost. I would say those are those costs are like their costs, uh, uh, that's a badge of honor cost. I would say most Christians well, they simple, should be. They should be. Most Christians are not even there to have that badge of honor cost. Most Christians, the cost they need to face today is saying, can I trust God? Can I just trust God today and not shrink back in my comfort zone? Right. And just trust God to take the step of faith to maybe invest in something or, or take a step to talk to somebody or, or work hard and engage and learn and grow something. You know, that, that's been my experience working with in the marketplace. It's like, okay, we're not even in a place in which we're talking about putting our necks out for the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> How about just take, take, the, take the cost of trusting God and believing God in this, in this endeavor? Take that first. Yep. Because 
uh, to, to get to where Bonhoeffer's at when he's like, ah, my comfort, my life versus really giving my life, man. That's a badge of honor. That's it's an invitation oh, so from we're, God. We're, to, we're still talking about him. We're today. talking about, and the Bible clearly, Jesus clearly talks about the reward for those yeah. who has given their life. Yeah. That's a badge of honor, and and yeah. and, and most of us, that's, that's just paid the cost of trusting Him today. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Good word. And you know, in the in the midst of all this that's going on, you know, ne- next Thursday will be Thanksgiving. We're going to be celebrating uh, and re- remembering all that God has done for us. Yeah. Um, and I just want to encourage all of you. My lovely bride, Marion, will be pinch hitting for Andrew. He'll be with his family, which I'm excited. You're going to be able to head head to the East Coast and be with your uh, loved ones, Debbie's folks, your folks. So praise the Lord for that. But we have a special podcast uh, where we're going to be just sharing our heart, and I hope you'll enjoy it. It'll be a little... uh, a little Thanksgiving kiss from us to you, just letting you guys know how much we love and appreciate you. So uh, we'll look forward to, to sharing that with you. But until then, have a great week. Don't lose your voice. Let's stand up for righteousness and, uh, and let's stand in the face of evil. Amen. We'll see you next Thursday. 